everyone, and welcome to the second episode of Review, a Brightspaces free webinar. Uh, Brightspaces is a tech company for real estate, helping developers boost their marketing and leasing activities through 3D digital tools. The Review webinars are a series of online talks where we invite top specialists to discuss the most important trends in real estate and prop tech. My name is Delia, I'm Head of Customer Success at Brightspaces, and I'm so excited to have with me today Anthony Slumbers, a globally recognized speaker, advisor, and writer on PropTech and Space as a Service. Anthony, the warmest welcome. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Please tell us more about yourself and your activity. No, thank you very much for inviting me, Delia. Well, I, I spent nearly two decades founding and exiting a number of software companies, and they've all been involved in commercial real estate and around data, research, property manage management tools. Um, to cut the long story short, I exited all of those by around about 20, 2016. And thereafter, I've concentrated on writing, speaking at conferences around the world, and advising a wide range of prop tech and real estate companies on how technology is changing how people work and live. And I also run an online course focused on hashtag space as a service, which I call the trillion dollar hashtag. That's impressive. That's impressive. Uh, again, thank you so much for accepting our invitation. So uh, I think we can kick it off with the questions. Um, first of all, Anthony, how would you describe the office market currently and where is it heading? Well, I'm going to give a, a, a short answer to this because we're going to expand on it over the next hour or so. but. Essentially, the, the industry is in a real state of flux because the pandemic showed us that we could function and we could run our businesses pretty well without offices. So the industry is now adapting to this new reality. Now, the point is that offices now need to demonstrate what they are for and why they are needed. Because most importantly, and fundamentally, it is no longer the default setting that everyone goes to the office to work, which means the industry faces some really powerful forces of change. Awesome. Um, we are seeing that um, you are promoting right the space as a service term. Uh, let's talk a bit more about this concept and why is it so important? Yeah, well, space, spaces, spaces and services, if you like, it is my hobby horse. And I've been writing and uh, talking about it since um, around about 20, 20, 2013. So this is, it's not, it's, not a, it's, not a new, it's not a new idea. It's just been given extra strong relevance um, post the pandemic, even though it was growing strongly before the pandemic. But the pandemic has really um, led to, actually, I don't call it an acceleration. Lots of people call it an acceleration. I call it more like a, a revolution. I think in many ways we're underestimating just how much things have changed post the, post the pandemic. Now, the point about space as a service is it really has two meanings. It's partly about how you procure space. So it's about how you procure, procure space more dynamically than via traditional long-term leases, whether you procure a space for an hour, a day, a month, uh, six months, even a year. It's really anything other than here's a 20-year lease, five-year reviews, etc. But there's a much more important mean, meaning about it. And that is all around how you create spaces that are laser-focused on the wants, needs, and desires of people. 
is fundamentally about a refocusing of the real estate industry around people. Because the, the aim of Space as a Service is to help enable people to be happy and healthy, but also, and the point is these go together to be as productive as they are capable of being. Ultimately, the requirement of a company is to have as productive a workforce as it can possibly be. But to get a, a workforce that is as productive as they can possibly be, you actually need to pay a lot of attention to whether you are enabling them to be happy and healthy. Are you putting them in the right environments that enable them to be as productive as they can, can be? You cannot separate out productivity from happiness and health, health and well-being. They are actually all inextricably linked. So Space as a Service is fundamentally, its core value proposition is improving the pleasure and the productivity of people. That's the point of Space as a, as a Service. It's not, it's not something necessarily soft and, fl and fluffy and just being over nice or over woke as a, to, to annoy, annoy all the Americans. But the point is, it's about how do you get the best out of people? And with our real estate hats on, what sort of environments do we need to put people in that enable them to be as happy, healthy, and productive as possible? Because there's this fundamental thing that people are much more valuable than real estate. J JLL used use this phrase, which they actually took from the World Green Building Council, where they talk about 33300. So you spend three euros or dollars or pounds on utilities, you spend 30 dollars, euros or pounds on rent, but your people cost you 300. Now, traditionally in real estate, we have put all our concentration on the three and the 30, and we've not paid much attention to the 300. Space as a service is all about concentrating on the 300. The utility costs are still important, the rent's still important, but they're a tenth, they're a hundredth to a tenth less important than enabling your people to be as productive as they can be, because they are way, way more expensive than, uh, than your real estate. Now, the, the, the way to get there, and the key to all of this, the competitive advantage of space as a service, is a great user experience. So what is the customer experience? What is the user experience of your space? What does it feel like to be in your space? How does being in your space enable people to be more productive than they could be otherwise? And that's what gives you a competitive advantage, but that's also what gives you pricing power and long-term value, particularly in the market we've, we've got now where people are saying, but people aren't coming back to the, uh, the office. People are not going to come back to the office unless it provides them with a great, user experience, because what's the point? The office is now competing with anywhere else we can do something. So your office and the office you provide your customers has to be the best place to do X, Y, Z. And if you can't do X, Y, Z better in your office than somewhere else, then frankly, why, why, why have you even got it? So what you're gonna find is space as a service spaces even in a market which is declining, and the macro, the macro situation in real estate is that demand per person is declining, is declining, 
they are going to be more, more valuable and more in demand than ever because having, having a cheap office can be a good thing because there's always a market for cheap. And having a great office is a good thing because people want to come into a great office. Having an average office is absolutely the worst place you could possibly be because demand for average is going to, going to flitter away. But, but demand for a great user experience is going to get much, much stronger. So space as a service is really, really unbundles income from, from price, per, price per square foot. Because the idea is I'm not selling you space. I'm selling you a productive workforce. I'm selling you somewhere that is going to enable your people to be more productive than if you took that space or that space. So yes, the price is important. But it's not as important as how well that space enables your people to be as um, productive as possible. So the higher utilization and satisfaction of the space is going to reduce churn and increase value. A lot of people are nervous about flexible space because they think, well, I haven't got a long lease. You know, I haven't got Google on a, on a 10 year lease. So I'm more concerned about my, uh, my, uh, the stability of my, my income. But in a good space as a service space, you're actually going to find this higher utilization of the space and more satisfaction for the space. And if it's higher utilization and a higher satisfaction, people aren't going to leave and they're going to place more value on, on that. So in a, in a, in a nutshell, real, uh, space as a service is about combining real estate, physical real estate with technology and then a big dose of humanity on top. So it's very much about quantitative factors and qualitative factors. This is human and machine territory. But if you can combine real estate, humanity, and technology, that will should enable you to scale, profit, and differentiate yourself from um, from your competitors. So in um, in five minutes, that's a that's what spaces of service is all about. Sounds like we have a strategy for success from that perspective. So thank you for for all the insights. Um, so we have seen that the past couple of years widened the decision-making groups in real estate, right? So it's not, no longer just the real estate professionals or the C-level management uh, who are getting involved when move, moving to a new office, for example. But right now we also have people from other departments getting involved. So we are talking about a new stakeholders group, right? How can or should the industry address them? Well, th this is absolutely foundational to everything and is also foundational to, to space as a service. Because the point is, historically, the customer of a real estate developer, the customer of a landlord, was actually not the people that took their space. The customer was actually the investor either funding their space or who they intended to sell it to. So a great deal of real estate wasn't built for users, it was built for investors which is why people say, yes, but we've always paid attention to the uh, people in a space. No, you haven't. You've paid attention on how do you create a space that you can sign a long lease and sell it on, onto a, an investor. So that's how it used to be. The critical point now is that instead of the investor being the customer, it's not even the occupier that signs the lease or the license. It's actually every single person who uses your real estate is your customer. 
because individuals and companies now, particularly successful companies, particularly the top companies in, in comments, they need the best talent. And the best talent nowadays has optionality. The best talent can move. The best talent can always find another, always find another, another job. Now you've got to put that, that talent in a good space. So you need to really concentrate on your customers' employees. So yes, it's, a, it's your customer, the, 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 the corporate entity that's signing your lease or license. But really, you need to be focusing on how well does my space benefit and enable my customers' employees to get, to get what they want. Because that is what will keep a company in your space for longer. The more you can attune and help your customer attune their space to make their, their employees as happy, healthy, and productive as possible, the better. So you absolutely have to change the way you think about what creates value in real estate to, to thinking about what is it that actual users of the space need. Now, again, this is a bit like happy and healthy and productive. One sounds all soft and fluffy. And this sounds like, oh, just, you know, who, who cares about who cares about their employees? You know, I just want the company to sign the, sign, sign the lease. But the point is, the only way to maximize value, the only way to get high value from an investor is to have a building where people are happy, healthy and productive. So again, you sort of have to do the soft stuff to get the hard to get the hard hard result. So the focusing on the wants, needs, and desires of your customers' employees is the really critical mindset to approach real estate going forward. Yeah, I mean, from the customer success perspective, I have to agree with everything you're saying because in the end, it's all about placing the customer. Uh, at the you know center of your activity and also focus on their needs, but while still looking at them from the holistic perspective. So yeah, it, it's exactly what we all need in order to to thrive. But, um, but, but what's what's interesting, you you can just see you can see the difference as soon as you start talking to people. Is it? It's like you 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 hear lots of stories about oh, well, we want everyone back in the office because that's where we used to be creative and that's where we used to get our, our good ideas. But if you talk to actual people who used to spend five days a week in an office and you say, well, how well were you mentored there or how productive were you there or how serendipitous was there? Most of them go, not very. There is such a big difference. Once you start talking to the end customer, the user, then you can really, really start to differentiate differentiate your space. Because historically, and, and there's lots of data to, to support this, we know that the occupation of offices historically was round about 50%. And if you look at the data from Leesman, the company that runs employees surveys, and they've now done more than a million individual um, employee surveys. And one of the questions they ask is, um, does your workplace enable you to be productive? And I think overall, it comes out to something like 60% of people say yes. So that sounds, doesn't sound too bad until you realize that means that 40% of people 
are saying my workplace does not enable me to be productive and you're paying for it and they're paying they're, or they're paying paying you for it you can't we can't go on with 40 percent of people feeling that their workplaces don't enable them to be productive but the only way to solve that which you have to remember solving that is what maintains your value is is to really really think about the customer yeah, I mean, it, it's no longer just about the business partnership, right? But it's also about humanizing those business partnerships in order to listen to your customers, to the end users, to their needs, and see how your space, right, uh, practically can uh, support them with their, their, their needs moving forward. Absolutely. Um, what are the most useful, soon to be widely adopted technology in the built world? Uh, and what is their impact? Okay, so I, I'm going to elaborate a, a bit on this because there is a lot of really interesting, interesting areas to, to go through. So I'm going to talk about quite a lot of areas, not in much detail, but keep your keep your keep your ears out for the 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 the, the headlines because I'm pretty certain there's going to be um, there's going to be technologies in in this. Uh, each of you will find a different one is potentially going to be very very useful to you. The first the the first thing I want to want to say though about adopting technology in the built in the built environment is that if you haven't got your data in order then you're wasting your time with anything you can have the best technology in the world but if you don't have good data then you're you're wasting your time your money and your effort and everything else so what is what is good data well that completely depends on who you are what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to achieve it so Again, you need to you need to look at something like data from the other end of the spectrum. So, say you're thinking about a customer, and I want to I want to enable my customer to do X, or I want to be able to put my customer in an environment which is Y. So, what data do I need to understand what it is they they want, and then what data do I need in order to provide it to provide it to them? So, for each of your each of your customer journeys, if you like, you have to think about, well, what data do we need to understand and then to give them what they want? And of course, at a building, a building level in terms of we want a building that creates, say, great environmental conditions with good levels of CO2, right noise, temperature, lighting, etc. You need a lot of data, data about this. So all of these technologies are completely dependent on sorting out your data first. So rule number one, sort your data out. After that, the things to really concentrate on are thing, anything that's related to sustainability, health and well-being, and, pro and productivity. Because ultimately, we're talking about a three-leg stool here. You have a, a stool with three legs, sustainability, health and well-being, and productivity. Each of them is a flywheel to the, to the other. So if you want good health and well-being, you probably have to put someone in a sustainable building because the sustainable building has the technology and the services and the hardware that enables you to create a healthy environment. If you want to make people productive, you have to put them in a in a in, in a in a in a in a sustainable building with good health and well-being. If you want if you want to sell to an investor or you want to fund a building, you have to have high sustainability credentials because sustainability is very much a moving target. But in, in essence, 
in essence, if you're if you're working at the top end of the market in prime space, you will not be able to fund and you will not be able to sell a building that does not have high sustainability um, criteria. So sustainability, health and well-being, productivity. How can we make, how can we, what technologies do we need to improve those? So just look and looking at a few relatively quickly. So the internet of things, so IoT devices that enable you to monitor and control various aspects of your building. So they help you monitor your energy consumption, your lighting, your temperature, your security. Widespread adoption of IoT will lead to smarter, more energy efficient buildings. It will lead to improved occupier comfort and better facility management. So we are going to see more and more deployment of, of IoT. Now, people have been saying this for years, and it hasn't really happened in the way some people said it would, but it will, not least of all because the price, like all technologies, is going like that. It's coming down, 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 down for IoT devices. So that's a, that's a, big, a big thing. The, the, the second thing is everything around BIM, building information modeling, and digital twins, which come in many various forms. Some are 3D, some are 2D, but they come in different, different forms. But in terms of a digital representation of a building's physical and functional characteristics is incredibly useful. It's what enables architects, engineers, construction professionals to collaborate more effectively, which should lead to better design buildings, reduce construction costs, and improve pro project management. But having a digital twin enables you to do things almost for free before you actually have to go and spend a lot of money on them. So what you do is you can, you can test out lots of hypotheses on a digital twin. Is this going to work? What do we need to do to do this? Does that, does that work? Will people use it? Let's modern model that. Now, that, doesn't, that costs you some money. Obviously, it costs you money. But it's nothing like testing it on a real world environment and then going, oh, that doesn't quite work. Let's start again. Let's do, do it again. So your digital rep representation of a building's functional and physical characteristics is going to become, I would, I would say within, within five years, it'd just be the norm. Any decent building will have a digital, will have a digital twin. Um, the next point is all around 3D printing and prefabrication. Otherwise, you could call it modular, modular construction. There is clearly so much benefit to being able to prefabricate a building in a cleaned factory using robotics and 3D printing to building it directly on a, constru on a construction site. There are practical difficulties in the short term, which mainly are around the supply and demand that there's not necessarily enough demand for these type of properties yet. So you have to put all this money into a, into a, into a factory, but you haven't got the demand for it. But it's an absolute certainty that we will be making more and more of our real estate precision engineered. Some people talk about prefabrication and think, oh, that's cheap. I think of this as precision engineering. This is the Ferrari of buildings. You don't, you know, where does a Ferrari get made? In a beautiful factory, it doesn't get made made on site out in in the rain. So think about that. And then there's uh, augmented reality, AR, and vir and virtual uh, reality. So this this is going to become increasingly important 
for designing, visualizing, and simulating built environments. So we're going to see a, a lot more, a lot more of that. Then you have drones and robotics. So drones, I love drones. <laughs> drones can be used for site inspections. They can be used for progress monitoring. They can be used for aerial mapping. Our ability to understand the world because we have such great aerial mapping now is really making a big difference. And of course, robotics can automate a huge range of con construction tasks. So these technologies, particularly within construction, will improve efficiency, reduce labor costs, and enhance safety on uh, job sites. Now, my, 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 my favorite subject, which is uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, is going to become more and more important throughout the real, real, real estate world. Because if you can get to the situation of actually having usable AI and machine learning, and I, and I admit this is, not a, this is not a simple thing, but we're, but we're getting there. Good AI and machine learning enables you to predict, enables you to have predictive analytics, enables you to optimize space, enables you to automate the built environment in a way that there's no way we can do it with, with, with humans. So it will lead to smarter, more efficient buildings and processes. You can really think of the processes. Anything that you can map out, anything that is repeatable, predictable, structured, repeatable, or predictable, will end up being done by an artificial intelligence. Anything you can say, well, you do this, and then once you do that, you do that, and once you do that, you do that. All of this work is going to be taken over by artificial in, in intelligence. So we're going to get better decision-making, improved performance across a wide range of the industry. Then you have the whole world of energy storage and renewable energy. You know, we're, we're in Europe. Europe's been turned up, upside down with regard, with regard to energy and the need to be uh, self-sufficient and secure and have more renewable energy. It's just quite obviously a massive, massive imperative for the world, but in particular for, for Europe. So we're gonna see a lot more work done in terms of renewable energy and in storage, because you have the thing of, you know, wind, windmills are, are great, solar is great, but it's not so great if there's no wind and the sun's, sun's not out, which is why we need batteries to store. Now, batteries historically have been expensive and not, and not, um, and not large enough, but again, batteries are collapsing, collapsing in, in, in cost. So anything to do with energy storage and renewable energy is going to become a really big thing in real estate. 40% of the carbon emissions of the planet come from the built environment. So it is really, really incumbent upon us to work hard to get more renewable energy and deal with more energy storage. And then finally, in a similar way, smart materials and nanotechnologies. So these technologies can lead to development of materials with improved properties. So we're talking about things like self-healing concrete or energy efficient insulation or air purifying surfaces. There's gonna be a lot of new materials um, developed which are gonna help us decarbonize the built environment because that's what we have to do over the next over the next decades, decarbonize the built environment. And we have a lot of concrete, we have a lot of steel, and we have an awful lot of carbon. But a lot of this stuff is coming on and is actually really worth pursuing. I was watching something this morning which was showing how you could build insulation essentially from the building blocks of mushrooms. 
So you can use essentially the technology in nature of a mushroom in a factory to create insulation panels. Totally organic, totally bio, biodegradable, zero, zero carbon. So over, overall, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of really powerful technologies which are hitting, which are hitting a, a, a tipping point. And once you hit that tipping point, you suddenly get the classic hockey, hockey server. How does something happen slowly then suddenly? In a lot of these technologies, we're getting to the, the suddenly the suddenly bit. Um, so you, you also mentioned the digitalization topic, right? So we see right now that we are pretty much focused on the whole, let's say, visual part of things, right? The 3D digital twins for leasing office spaces, for example. Um, can you expand a bit on how do you see the immediate and future benefits um, of this technology? Okay. Now, again, again, the, I'm going to go into this in a, in a bit of detail, but the fundamental point is that overall this technology should help you with streamlining the leasing process, enhancing decision-making, and improving the tenant's experience. So that's what we're trying to do. Streamline the leasing process, enhance decision-making, and improve the, te the tenant's experience. Now, there's things that we can do now, and there's things we're going to be able to do in the, in the future. So if you look at if you look at what we can what we can do now with with digital twins and 3D modeling, we can do much better space planning and customization space. So we can enable occupiers, potential occupiers, to visualize how their furniture, their equipment, and their other assets would fit into this theoretical space that is un, under construction. So this should enable them to make better informed decisions about spatial utilization and design really fundamental important point it also should enable you to do them to do much faster decision making so by providing a comprehensive immersive view of the space 3d digital twins can help potential tenants assess if the property meets their needs quickly which can speed up the decision making process so you should be able to go from this is what we need to do feed it into the model does it work? Yes. In which case, let's keep making more decisions or no. Thank you very much. Show me another, another building. So we should be able to cut out a lot of the processes that historically we've gone through in making a decision about um, where we're going to go. And then, of course, it's very, very helpful for enhanced marketing and communication. So in particular, property managers can use 3D digital twins to showcase a office spaces more effectively. They can provide a competitive edge in the market, which should lead to faster leasing and higher occupancy results. Because you can demonstrate what something is going to be before it is, that's a, that's a very strong com competitive advantage. So those are the three main things to use the technology for now. But in the future, where it really will start to get in interesting, is we will start to see integration of these models with IoT and smart building systems. So as smart building technologies become more widespread, these digital twins can be integrated with IoT devices to help us monitor, control various aspects of the building, again, such as energy consumption, air quality, and security. So this again should enable us to build more efficient, comfortable, and sustainable office spaces because we have a model and it's connected, a virtual model, but it's connected to the real world. So it understands 
what is the reality of what is going on in the real world now? And then should be able to naturally tweak, tweak, uh, tweak and change and optimize because you're monitor and optimize, monitor and optimize. In the software business, I ran software companies for 20 odd years. You have a thing called build, measure, learn. It's the classic uh, uh, software process. You build something, you put it in the hands of customers, you get feedback and you iterate on it. So you build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. In real estate, historically, we stop at build. We build something and then we don't monitor it and therefore we don't optimize it. But once you have a model connected to the real world, you're monitoring the real world so you should be able to continually optimize it. And then that feeds through to, again, you should have better facility, facility management because they understand how the building is working at a much more granular level in much more detail. And so they should be optimized stuff. Um, and then you have a lot more data-driven decision-making because we're collecting and analyzing data about how our spaces are performing over time, property managers and occupiers should be able to make more informed decisions about space utilization, energy efficient, et cetera, et cetera. But we're working on data. We're not working on hunch. We're not relying on the property manager saying, oh, it's, it's never very busy there at three o'clock on Wednesdays. Well, maybe it is, it maybe it isn't. Prove it to me. Show me the data, what is actually happening in our building and how can we continually monitor it and optimize it. And then la lastly, there's the whole point about you should be able to standardize things and scale them up much better one, once you have a model. Once you have a, a model of the reality of your physical world, that should be replicable and you should be able to scale it, scale it up um, much quicker. So they're, they're, there's a lot of benefits. I'm not, I'm not saying any of this world is um, e easy at the moment, but um, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of benefits and a lot of it coming down the, the, the tracks as well. Um, you talked a bit earlier about the uh, AI technologies. So right now, because, you know, the GPT, uh, the chat GPT trend is, is blooming. Uh, I was curious about your opinion on what role do you think ChatGPT will play in the real estate industry? Well, the, the, this is this is a, a fascinating area that has absolutely. We were talking about tipping points. We have reached a tipping point in AI. So, if you go before November last year, which is when I think the first ChatGPT came out, or October. Um, AI was very much something for geeks to talk about. You needed to be a geek. You needed to be a tech specialist to really have any understanding of what on earth anyone was talking about with, um, with AI. ChatGPT has come out and you have a text box. Ask me a question. You don't have to do anything. That has put a consumer and a public user experience onto on AI. So it's, it's giving people access to the way, the way to think of something like ChatGPT is that it's like having an infinite number of interns at your disposal. So I have a thousand, I need to find something out. Well, I have a thousand virtual interns who will work, it, work on it for me. And they will give me the answer in, in, in a matter of seconds. 
So if you think of if you think of these new these new they're called large language models and chat gpt isn't the only one there's lots of there's other ones coming out and there's ones that are, that are um, customized for particular in, in industries but if you think about it in terms of as i say this is giving you immediate access to to brain power which you can use on on demand anything you want to know within reason there, there's 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 technicalities about what it's good at and what it's it, it's bad at. But if you if you think about it, you've got the smartest per people in your industry on ta on tap to you because it's trained on everything that's ever really been on the you know, on the internet. So it's a it's a really big thing. So again, we're going to start seeing these technologies, and this the AI isn't just large language models. There's different types of 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 AI. But we but we're getting to the point where we're going to start seeing um user experiences um user interfaces put on top of this technology so people can really start using it and then and there's a number of things you're going to find it's really important for so you're going to find in the future much better property search and recommendations you're going to find systems that are much more personalized to what you need that understand what it is you're looking for what your budget is what your locations requirements are and other factors and it's going to understand what you are looking for much better um, than it does now market analysis and forecasting with ai is going to be huge so understand it what ai is really good at is it's really good at processing and analyzing large data sets and synthesizing large data sets to understand to identify trends patterns and cor correlations it's most of ai is about pattern recognition it's looking for, oh, all of this looks like that. That looks like that. Therefore, that's that. Pattern recon recognition. So it's going to be very, very powerful for being able to understand our cities um, in particular much better and forecasting what's going to be busy, what's not going to be busy, what, we sh what should we build where and why and when. Um, it's going to make, we were talking about uh, virtual tours and dig digital twins earlier this is just going to get better and better and better because there's more and more ai power that's going to be available to make these virtual tours and re realistic 3d visualizations stronger stronger and stronger document analysis and management is an absolute bullseye for these new language models so if you think about the documentation that's required to run a building or to deal with compliance or to run leases, <clears throat> you're going to see a lot of AI being used as an assistant to a person to enable them to work, work quicker and deal with things that they probably couldn't deal with before. You know, the, the, the problem of someone that gives you a huge pile of paper like that and say, oh, read all this and tell me what's going on. People do read it and they say what's going on, but really... It's very, very hard to do, but it's easy. It's easy for AI. So you're going to see a lot of document analysis and management. You're going to see a great deal of use in property management and maintenance. Again, it's all about optimizing building operations, monitoring, controlling energy consumption, automating routine maintenance tasks. There's going to be lots of that. And that's going to result in cost savings and improved building performance. Um, you are going to see lots of chatbots used for cus customer service. It's going to these 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 customized language models are going to get much better. So you customize 
the foundational model for your particular industry and for your particular customers. And they're going to become really, really good at customer service. Then there's all the stuff to do with risk assessment and due, due diligence. Again, this is all about analyzing large amounts of data, zoning regulations, environmental factors, et cetera, et cetera. Hard, compl complicated, slow, and frankly, quite boring stuff that a lot of in investors and property managers have to do. AI is going to become really good at that. And then lastly, sentiment analysis. So AI is really good at monitoring and analyzing, analyzing online conversations and reviews and social media activity. So, you know, there's so much material put out by people all across the internet and social media challenges. And in some cases, it's really useful to be able to understand what's the sentiment towards our company out there. What are people saying about us? What words are they using? AI can be very, very useful to keep a constant lookout on the market and alert you to, well, people seem to really like that or people hate that. That is really annoying people. So do something about it or people love that. Give them, give them more, more, more of that. So there's a, there's a lot you're gonna be able to do with, with, with AI. Can you do it? Can you do it today? Theoretically, yes, you can do all, all of this. In practice, it's not quite at the stage where I could just say, well, just phone up these people or the, those, but it's coming and it's coming soon. So this is within, within, a, within think of it as a few years. I always, I always remind myself in real estate that a real estate cycle is long. So what's the, what's the, what's the cycle for a big building? might be 10 years. So it's, it's not like we need, to, we need to think, well, what's going to be the situation in two years, five years, 10, ten years? And we need to be gearing up for when we eventually finish this building, what is, how, are we going, how are we going to use it? How are we going to monitor it, et cetera, et cetera? Et cetera. So this is, just, this is just an area to have somebody in your organization People just read about this. Find, find the person who's really, or the people who are interested in this stuff, and then get them to come and talk talk to you once once a month or once a quarter. What's happening? What's not happening? So yeah, lots and lots of AIs coming. Cool. So it's about embracing technology, right, and innovation, but at the same time not neglecting the human touch. And um... but, but, well, this, this is this is absolutely super super important. And again, is a foundational principle within space as a service. The idea is the machines alone are not going to win. This isn't Terminator, where the, mach <coughs> where the machines take over. But individuals, humans are not going to win on their own either. What is going to win is, off is a human plus machine. We need, we need to use humans to tune the machines to do what it is we want to do. Picasso had this famous saying, he said, computers are useless. They can only give you answers. It's humans that ask the questions. So we need to pay a lot of attention to what questions do we need to give to our machines to do? And then in what way can our machines enable us to do things better, faster, cheaper? And the, and the interesting thing, as I say about the chat GPT, is like this technology has now given all of us infinite interns which is really they're not taking over 
but you have all these extra capabilities and it's for us to work. So it it's all going to boil down to it's quantitative, the quantitative things, the things that you can say are structured, repeatable, predictable will be done by machines. The qualitative stuff, which is incredibly important, how do we attract the best people to our buildings? How do we keep them there? How do we make them happy, healthy, and productive whilst with that? These actually are human questions. Absolutely. If you don't ask, if you don't ask the right human question, there's no point asking the machine. You have to understand that. So human, human and, and machine together wins. Makes total sense, and I fully agree. And now connecting the whole, you know, uh, mix of technology and human touch to the office market. I was curious because you know offices seem to turn into real ecosystems that serve not only work related but also more personal needs. So, how do you think that the office market will evolve in the next ten years? I I think you need to I think you need to think of offices more in the sense of they are workplaces, but they are not necessarily, they're not the only place where work, work can, can get done. So your workplace, the workplaces that you require to do your jobs to be done is really an, a network, a network of spaces. There's going to be different types of spaces appropriate to do di different things. And again, going, going back to the, the office office. The office office really needs to understand and define what it is that can be done better in an office than, than anywhere, anywhere else. Because you are going to find people are not going to spend nine hours a day, five days a week in an office. They're going to use it for, for different purposes and they're going to do work in other, in other ways. So everything needs to become more personalized, more sophisticated, more attuned to individual need, team need, and company need. So if you just look, if you just look at how are we going to manage hybrid work for workforces, you have to you have to plan it at those three levels. What, what is needed for each individual to do their best work? And that's going to vary by individual. What is needed for this team to do their best work and what is needed for that team to do their best work and how does that fit in to the wider needs and requirements of the company and so again it gets back to data we need to understand what it is individuals need what it is teams need and what are the corporate as aspirations and then we need to define what we need in terms of in terms of our offices our work our, our workplaces so i think you're going to find Offices, offices are, are going to become more sophisticated, more personalized. And as I said before, they're going to become more, more like software, where you continually monitor how well is this building performing, how well is it being used, and how well is it providing what the occupiers need. And if it's not, optimize it. So space is going to become very flexible. It's not just that we're going to be flexible in that we'll work here today, and there tomorrow, or we work there in the morning, there in the afternoon, et cetera. But internally, I think offices are going to become very, very flexible. So say you have a space where you have five, five days a week, 
on Monday, this team, these teams come in. On Tuesday, these teams come in. Now, each of these teams are going to need different things. So some might need quiet spaces. Others might need... Um, Collaborative, yeah, different spaces. Exactly, yeah. But but you're going to need to be able to to use one space and reformat it all the time. So I think you're going to find a lot of fit outs are going to become looser and looser and more flexible. So at the end of the day, the team can easily reconfigure reconfigure the space because tomorrow Delia and Anthony are coming in and they need this. Give them that. Next day, Anthony and Joanna are, are, are coming in. They need they need that. So, in, in in many ways, historically, offices have been dumb, and now they're going to become smart. But but I I want to put a caveat on that. Lots of people talk about smart smart buildings, but they focus on smart buildings on the on the technology. Again, my point is, you need the technology. But it's no good unless you start with unless you start with what it is the, the customer needs, and then you work yes. back to to the technology that enables them. So, offices are frankly, offices are going to become much better. That's what I think is going to happen. I think people are going to take a lot less space, but I think actually people are going to pay more for their space because they're going to want better space. And whether they whether they lease it for a month or ten years, frankly, is not going is not going to ma matter because if you can if you can get product market fit between what your customers need and what you're what you're offering, then 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 people are going to stay. So less less but better is how both sides are going going to win. A customer will spend more money per square foot per square meter, but they take less square meters and a and a landlord will lease less square meters but will get more money for it so maybe a building instead of having five occupiers will have 10 and they will take half as much space but they're paid 50 more for it so they're saving but the landlord's also generating more money more money per per square foot um you mentioned the landlord so my next question would be what is one thing that office landlords and agents should do in order to thrive in the next 10 to 15 years? Okay, well, I, well, I, I hope after, after 50 minutes, the, the answer is, is clear. Start with the customer. There's a very famous um, video which you, can, which you can find on YouTube. And uh, if, you, if you just Google Steve Jobs, and um, start with the customer. When he came back to, to Apple, because he got thrown out of Apple and then he came back, they were in a, in a real estate. And he had an ask, an ask me anything meeting with all the, all the staff of Apple. And he was being asked, asked questions and somebody got up and they, and they said, why do we need you? You don't know anything about technology. You don't know anything about Java. You don't know about our business at all. Why, why do you think you're going to make a difference? And it's, it's interesting because you can see Steve Jobs, who was quite a, quite a tough chap. You could see him really, really angry at being, uh, at being asked this. But he doesn't say anything for, oh, I don't know, it, it, it feels like forever. And then he says, the point is, we have to start with the customer 
and work back to the technology. We have to understand how we can make our customers' lives better, how we can make them love our products, and then work out what technologies do we need to deliver this. And I think this is absolutely the future of real estate. We need to, we need to think about in what way can our real estate make our customers' lives better? And what do we need to, to give it to them? Because fundamentally, whether people use offices or not, or restaurants or not, we spend 90% of our time as people inside real estate of some format. So it's not like demand for real estate is going. We are still going to spend 90% of our time inside real estate. But what real estate? What form factor? What do we want to do in it? How do we want it to help us? You know, help me help you, the, the Tom, Tom Cruise thing. And all of this is going to come from understanding the wants, needs, and desires of our customers and then working out with our real estate hat ons, hats on how we can help them. And we need to be very clear where we can help and what we can, can't help. A lot of the benefit of a workplace comes from the culture and the operation of that company. Now, we as real estate people, we can't make a bad company good, but we can make a good company, good company better. So there are some things we can do to help with culture and how things work for a, a customer. But that's really, ultimately, that's down to the company. You know, companies create their own, own culture. But there's a lot we can, what we fundamentally can do in real estate, if you just take the office market, we can put people in spaces that enable them to be as good as they can be. And by that, I mean, just the environmental conditions. Put people in optimum environmental conditions, their cognitive function is maximized. So we can say, you are, in our space, you can be as good as you are capable of being. Nothing in our space is going to make you less good than, you're, than you are capable of. So it's a really, it's a, it really is a, a rethinking of, of what the purpose of real, real, real estate is. But if, we, if, but if we can create spaces and places that people love, you're going to have a great business. Um, I absolutely agree. Um, just one more question from, from the ones we have received from the audience already. Um, but if anyone still has any questions, please feel free to write them down either in the chat or the Q&A section, and we will address them. Uh, the question I have here is the following. So the long-term goal right, right, right now is educating all office market stakeholders, like landlords, tenants, and so on, on the change of dynamics and on the priority to focus on the productivity and well-being of the employees. The question is, how do you foresee the role of real estate companies and what would be essential to innovate? I, I, I think real estate, real estate companies are going to get much closer to, to their customers. There's, the, there's a fundamental problem historically in real estate 
of unaligned incentives. So you have the investor wants this, the landlord, the, the occupier wants that, and the property manager in the middle wants that. And normally they go in three different directions, which is why you get lots of office buildings that don't work very well for anyone. They, the landlords, the landlord investor is not very happy. The property manager is abused and just shouted at all, all the time, and the customers not, not getting getting what they want. We have to we have to find business models that are predicated on the idea of making a bigger pie. And then we need to align our incentives to create a better product. So if you think about it, this, this idea of I'm not setting you square feet, I'm setting you a productive workforce. So if we can create, if we can help a company have a 10%, even a 5%, but frankly, you should be able to enable a company to have 10, 15, 20% more productive people by doing everything right. If we can do that, the value of their space to them is much higher. And the stickiness of that space is much higher. Because if you think about it, if you have a smartphone, everybody's home screen on a smartphone is different because it's customized to individual people. Now, we are talking of spaces and offices that work like this, that this space is customized to your particular company. So you could leave, but if you left, you'd have to train your new office to get to where we are now, because our office really, un really understands you. So you could go, but you would then need, to, if you like, to train the new office to provide you with what we can provide you. But, but also, why go? because it is so well attuned to what, what, you, what you need. So we should be able to create a lot more value for the customer, which we should be able to charge them a lot, a lot more, more for. And then the property manager's role is not just waiting for someone to shout at them and say, do this, do, do that. They are an integral stakeholder in creating this better space, which gives the customer a better, a, a more productive space. And then, of course, from an investor's point of view, if I can fill up a building where, where everyone is, instead of taking, I don't know, uh, 2,000 square meters for 10 years, everyone takes 1,000 square meters for one year. Now, in, on the, in, in a sense, that feels much worse. But if they're paying what they used to pay for 3,000 square meters for their small, smaller space, and it doesn't matter that they're on a one-year a one lease because they're not going anywhere. Because why would you leave somewhere that works per perfectly for them? You should have a, a, a much, much stronger asset. But you cannot get here unless you align these incentives and you build somehow a company or an ecosystem of companies that combined can create that can create all of this quantitative and qualitative um, space. So your real estate companies are going to become different. They're, they're, they're going to become service companies, not product companies. And they're going to need people with different skills and they're going to need different technologies and they're going to need to think, think in, di in different ways. 
everything a real estate company knows about real estate will be as valuable in 10 years time as it is now. But that will be necessary, but no longer sufficient. So you need all your real estate skills, and then you need all these layers of other, other skills on, on top. But if you can pull this off, and I'm not saying any of this is, this is easy, but if you can pull this off, I truly believe there's a huge differentiation between your space and your com competitor's space. And, and, and ultimately, that's what we've got to do. We've got to build, we've got to build space with a real competitive edge. And I believe this is the way to do it. Um, and in, in that regard, adaptability and flexibility seems to be seem to be uh, key factors. So yeah, those are Absolutely. one of the most important skills. Absolutely. Um, we, we still have two more questions from the audience um, that came in the Q&A section. So the first, one, the first one is like this. We are seeing a huge cycle in the build world. Three years for design and planning, three years for the construction and leasing side, and 20 years of releasing and operating. Yeah. But in the last three years, we saw a big crisis every six months. So the question is, how can the built world adapt faster? I think, I think a, num a, num a number of things ha have to happen. First, operate, people operating in the, in, the, in the built environment need to really accept, re accept reality. And, and understand how things have changed and become absolutely um, absolutely aware of what the reality reality is is on on the ground I will I was with a large um, a large UK uh, landlord a couple of days ago and to be honest none of this made any sense to them <laughs> I, I was sort of, I was sort of a, sort of amazed, but they didn't they didn't didn't see it at all. They essentially said, "Yeah, but we want we want to let the whole building for 20, 20 years. They might well succeed, but there's going to be increasingly increasingly few of them." So, I think accepting ex accepting the reality of where we are is is really important. Paying as a as I said throughout huge attention to what customers' needs are and trying to think through what will they be in two years, five years, 10 years, because your building's going to be finished there. You probably will not understand, be able to work out what the situation is going to be in five years. You will be able to work out what the situation is likely to be in two years, maybe in five years. But the point is, because you don't know, you fundamentally got to build in flexibility everywhere. That's that's the whole point. You're building you're building for volatility, so you've got to build build flexible. So so I think really really understanding what the reality is now. What do what do customers want? Focusing on flexibility, and and adopt adopting all the technologies that enable you to be more flexible, more agile, and allow you to do things quicker. So whatever, you really got to sort of break, break down your, your, your company into skill sets and workflows and see which ones you can make more flexible and that can operate, operate faster through all of them. And then you need to, need to look at what skills 
do we need that we don't have at the moment? And a lot of this stuff to do with understanding the customer is going to need skills that traditionally a real estate company doesn't have. So either you've got to bring them in or you've got to find someone to to work with. But uh, agility, flexibility, technology, open mind, and be super curious all the time because I completely agree. Things are changing really fast. And unless you're curious, thing you'll you'll miss things. And um, yeah, it's not, not easy, but you'll it's not easy for anyone. <laughs> yeah, you'll lose the rhythm if you don't stay curious. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have two more questions. Uh, the first one said, um, is talking about some customer communities that are not accustomed to be addressed directly. And the question is, what would be a marketing action you think would help them get to those communities? This is a a different thing. And I think the answer to this is actually quite long, long term. I put it, I I say to a lot of real estate companies, they need to think about storytelling a lot more because a a lot of their customers, frankly, don't want to deal with them. Because, and historically, have never dealt, dealt with them very much and are not interested in deal, dealing with them. So a company has got to develop a story about what it is that, make, that makes customers think, yeah, I'll have a word with them. Can they, can they help me? So you need, it, it's a, like an ongoing, mar- this isn't sales, this is branding and marketing to, to position yourself as a partner, a partner with with customers, so you can do things that would enable their community to to, to work to work better. Um, and it, it, it's a long term it's a long term game, but it, it's a marketing, and most importantly, it's a branding thing. You want you want customers to come to you because well, I, I always use the analogy of luxury cars. So I say, if you think. The most, the most important customer for Mercedes, Audi, or BMW is the person buying their first luxury car. Because the people who buy a BMW tend to carry on buying a BMW. People who buy an Audi carry on, et cetera. And we need to be real estate companies like that. That I go to this company because they are the Mercedes of real estate. And other people will go, well, I go to this company because they're the BMW of real estate. So their brand, what they stand for, what they can offer me, is more in line with what what I what I like, but it's a you know branding is re- really important, but it will it's a it's a long it's a long term game that needs to be led led from the led from the top. The 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 the, the C suite, the board has to has to develop what is it we stand for and what do we want our customers to say about us when we're not in the room. Sorry, long, long answers again. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Because I was thinking, um, I think maybe a good approach from the storytelling perspective can also be to be based on some data, as you mentioned uh, before. Absolutely. So that's, that would be a, a great approach as well. Absolutely. That's a very, very strong way of, you know, prove it. <laughs> exactly. Results so, or it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, cool. And the last question for today, um, are the innovation departments in the real estate adopters or guardians or blockers today? What do you think? Um, they, they, can, they, they, they can be in any, any, any of those. Um, I, I, I actually have a, a, a quite long blog on my website, antislumbers.com, 
which talks about how to do, how to do innovation. And I think it has six, 16 steps to be an, innova an innovative company. Um, yes, they absolutely can, can be blockers. The, 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 short answer, the short answer to this is a lot depends on the CEO and the board. Are they, what, what is their remit? Are they being given psychological safety and permission to challenge the way we do things? So are they being are they being told well how how can we do anything better? Or if we were a competitor, how could we outcompete us? And the CEO needs to set the framework of what you're trying to innovate, the purpose of your innovation, but then needs to make sure you have the psychological anyone involved with innovation. And frankly, innovation should be everyone in the company. Yes, you can have an innovation department. But that innovation department should be talking to, to every, everybody. But the CEO has, has to set the tone, has to set the tone of the company. We are a learning, constantly evolving company. End of. That's what we do. We evolve. They need to give the psychological safety so people can suggest things that might seem outlandish. And then they need to, the, the CEO needs to give air cover to the innovation team that doesn't stop anyone blocking it, that says, if you have a problem, come, come to me and make sure everyone, everyone in the company knows that the CEO wants, it, wants this to, wants this to, to happen. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a leadership thing. It, it's down to the management. Um, but uh, not tricky, but it's, it's doable. Some companies are a lot more innovative than others. It's a, we, we sort of know how to do it. Um, you just got to do it. <laughs> um, so maybe innovation can become some sort of a mindset at an oh, innovation, level. Innovation is absolutely a mindset. As, as I say, we are a constantly evolving company. We are expecting to be different in five years than, than we are now. That's what we do. We, we evolve. So yeah, it's it, it's a it's a mind it's absolutely absolutely a, a mind a mindset. But the but the, the 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 cover the cover from the boss is really really important. If you haven't got that, if if the, if the board is not interested and is just playing, and frankly, a lot of them do just play, um, you won't get it. You won't get anywhere. But you know, there's a lot of companies that won't get anywhere. So if you do get anywhere, you're in a good position. <laughs> um, Anthony, this has been an incredibly insightful conversation. Uh, is there anything you would like to add as a conclusion? Um, no, I don't, I don't need the like, like to add that um, if anyone is interested in what I've been saying about this, I, I, I blog a lot on anthonyslumbers.com. I tweet a lot at Anthony Slumbers. And if anyone is interested on the course I run on um, Space as a Service, go to trilliondollarhashtag.com. Everyone's welcome and um, more than happy to talk, talk with anybody. So thank you. And thank you for inviting me. Sure. Thank you so much, Anthony, for this amazing conversation. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. I truly hope you had a great time. Uh, see you soon on our third episode of Review, a Bright Spaces webinar. Have a great week ahead and take care. Bye-bye.